0: Hello, everybody! Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help you win at the game of business and marketing, so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. My name is Adam Homie, and I am your host. And I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Please check us out and be sure to subscribe on your favorite syndication network. You can fi- you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Google Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find tweets about us on Twitter. We're all over the place. Subscribe where you get your information and make sure that you get a front row seat to fresh content every single week. And also be sure to check out our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com where you'll always be able to see the latest upcoming episodes and our entire library of information covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you. Sometimes on our show, we like to kick back. We like to have some fun. We like to look at things from a different perspective. We like to sort of allow our minds to explore and enjoy. And where we get a lot of that enjoyment comes from the power of of story we've had episodes before about storytelling and story selling and those who follow me know that my teaching style largely revolves around stories and anecdotes live real-time examples of what I'm attempting to demonstrate so we have a person on here today who is going to give us his business lessons from Costa Rica now when he came to the business creators radio show and he requested to be on the show and gave us the proposed title for the interview, and I said, Business Lessons from Costa Rica, what's that? In the green room a few moments ago, I asked him what that meant, and he's going to share that and so much more about mindset, about developing support systems, about creating business and personal success, and some information even on mental health relationships and wealth. And it's going to be done in a fun storytelling format, So I encourage you to lean back on your lounge chair, get yourself a drink of whatever you like, grab a pad of paper and two pens, and enjoy as we bring in Dr. Tim Laskus. Now, Tim Laskus is the founder of Coach Wherever. He's got a PhD in clinical psychology. He's an entrepreneur, a life coach, an instructor. As I alluded to just 30 seconds ago, he's the founder of Coach Wherever Life Coach School. He's a mental performance coach with high professional athletes in the sport of motocross. And he's the author of a book called Finding Your Costa Rica, Five Powerful Steps to Personal, Professional, and Financial Success. Tim, come on in. The weather's fine.
1: Hey, Adam. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here today.
0: And our listeners may notice I'm sort of moderating my voice a little bit. I've slowed down my usual frenetic pace because we're sitting on a beach in Costa Rica today. So before we get started, I gave out your credentials. I showed people all the various ways you're serving the world currently. But tell us a little bit about your story. In fact, kind of the reason why we're here. And take us through a little walkthrough of what's brought you to where you are today today serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, my story goes back to 2005, and I was in a position where I was pretty comfy to other people outside. For people who were looking at me, you know, they said, oh, Tim, you have a a great, secure job. You're working for the state as a psychologist, you're in the pension system, you've got great insurance, you know, you, you have this, this new home, a dog, and, and, you know, two cars, a motorcycle, everything that you could work for, and then all of a sudden, you gave it up to move away to a distant land in Costa Rica, and that is exactly what was going on, but from the outside, it looked so perfect, you know, and, and isn't that what a lot of people try to do in, in life is, you know, they kind of project this image of, hey, everything is great. But, you know, deep down, I, I was miserable. You know, I, I had accomplished the majority of my goals up to that point. I had many struggles before that. Um, I had issues, you know, while going back to high school with learning and finished at the back of my high school class and overcame struggles. Uh, to end up going and, and later you know, graduating with honors from Rutgers University in New Jersey and then going on to obtain my, my doctorate, a PhD in clinical psychology. And so I had obtained what I had been working for for so many years, and I was finally in a position where I could have just kicked back and said, okay, you know, let me just put it on cruise control and, and – and let's just, you know, ride it out until retirement. And that's what a lot of people told me. They said, Tim, you need to just stay put and wait until it's time to retire. Then you'll have a nice you know, pension and, and you, you'll you'll you know have your, uh, your Social Security coming in and you'll, you'll be fine. However, I didn't want to go that route. In my mind, I was thinking, my goodness, I don't know how long I'm going to be around. That seems like, such a gamble for me to stay in this job, although it's secure and comfy, and it's something I've been working towards to, to be a psychologist. However, I didn't know if I'm going to be able to make it until my 60s, and if I did, how much help would I have left to be able to travel and explore and, and do the things that that I wanted to do? And to me, that just sounded like such a gamble. Well, right. Every year my my brother, who I'm originally from South Carolina and, and my brother who was living in, in Greenville in the upstate, he would come out every year and we would take a, a week long surfing trip in California. I was in California at the time and and in two thousand and five he said, you know, let's go somewhere different. Let's go to Costa Rica and I said,
0: Costa what?
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't know much about Costa Rica and and I said, well, don't they speak Spanish there? And he said, yeah, they do. And I said, well, I don't speak Spanish. And he said, don't worry. He said, I, you know, I took it in high school. I, I remember something. I knew enough to get us by. And, and you know, I was skeptical, but he sold me on, on the surfing. And he said, the surfing is great. The beaches are wonderful. So here we are. We we ended up flying out to Costa Rica, and we rented this 4x4. And it was during the rainy season and We went through the jungles. We were cruising in the mud. We were just having the best time of our lives. And it really was even more than what he had explained to me as far as how tropical and lush and just it was like going back in time. It was almost like Jurassic Park. You know, the the mountains kissed the ocean, and and I just fell in love. So not only did I fall in love with the landscape and everything about Costa Rica, but I ended up falling for this young lady there on that trip whom I had met. Uh, We went to a little small town near the coast in Costa Rica, and we went into this restaurant, and my brother ended up going to the restroom, and I sat down, and as I'm sitting there, I noticed this young lady at the next table, and she was by herself, and I decided to stand up and walk over and introduce myself and just start talking. And so as I was talking and introducing myself and telling her I was from California and all these other things for about, I don't know, it seemed like forever. And she never said anything. And then she looked up and she said something in Spanish. And <laughs> at that moment I said she didn't understand a word I said. So my brother came back luckily and he interpreted for us and and long story short with that, we kept in contact, ended up going out to Costa Rica almost every month for the rest of the year. And I got to the point I said, you know what, I'm coming to Costa Rica. <laughs> I'm right. going to give everything up. And, and what I had decided is, is I'm going to you know, quit my secure job, I'm going to sell my home, I'm going to sell my cars. And I ended up either giving away or selling everything that didn't fit into two suitcases. And off I went to Costa Rica. But before that, as I was sharing, you know, my my thoughts and my desire and dream of doing this, everyone around me said I was crazy. Everyone tried to talk me out of it. Everyone thought it thought that I needed the medication and not the, the patients that I was working with. <laughs> They just did not believe in, in this kind of new chapter for me. They they really thought that I was losing my mind, that I was going nuts. And so I did not listen to them. I went in January of 2006 off. I went to Costa Rica with just those two suitcases. And I was the the most – it was like a huge weight was off my shoulder. I was so excited at the time. And I went there, my wife and I were, were married a couple of months later. We're still married today. We have a, a five-year-old and another child on the way. And when when we had a wedding in Costa Rica, I invited many of those same friends and colleagues and family members down to to the wedding. And once they came and they met my wife, they were able to explore Costa Rica, they all knew exactly why I did what I did. And in fact, one of my good friends, he came up to me, and he was a pretty strong critic in the beginning. And he, I remember him, him telling me that I was a fool for doing that. And he came up and he said, Tim, I want to apologize. And I said, why? And he said, he said because I told you not to do it. And he said, I feel so bad. He said, now that I'm here, I see exactly what drew you here. He said, me telling you not to go and follow your dream. He said it had nothing to do with you. He said it had everything to do with me, meaning himself. And he said, I would love to do this. I would love to take a chance and and just get away from it all and go to another country. He said, but I'm too afraid. He said, the fear is so strong. I'm so envious that you were able to do it, and I was talking to you out of my own fear of me being able to do something like that. And so that really put it into perspective how a lot of the people, and I assume that almost everyone else probably had that same drive of fear, you know, about them not being able to do that, you know, and how that would be on the one hand, so exciting, but on the other, very terrifying and not knowing, what, you know, what would happen. And so everyone knew exactly, you know, why I did what I did, and, you know, they didn't – never second-guess me after that. And so that story is, is so powerful, and I use it with my clients, with how I promote my business because people really connect with stories, especially like that. I mean, that sounds kind of crazy. You work for something your entire life, you give it up, you go to Costa Rica, and, you know, and and one of the biggest things that we all have is is fear, and we're always trying to manage fear. And so, you know, one of the – there's a couple of lessons out of that. One is is that, you know, we all need to recognize how fear – impacts our life and what we do and what we don't do. And, you know, being fearful in certain aspects is good. It keeps us safe. And we kind of learned from an early age that, you know, you don't walk into the street because you'll get run over by a car. You know, don't touch right. the hot stove because you'll get burned. Um, don't run with knives because you'll get stabbed. You know, and some of those things are are good in how we teach our children But many times we as adults, we end up incorporating so many fears about so many things that we're almost, we're trapped in our own fear. You know, we're prisoners to ourselves. And it doesn't have to be that way. But a lot of it goes back to, you know, being really young and learning those life lessons that at the time kept us out of trouble, kept us out of the emergency room, kept us from dying. But as we grow older, a lot of those lessons work against us, and it really it really holds us and it chains us, you know, to a particular life that we may not be happy about, that we, we are just miserable in. But yet, you know, it, it's that, kind of that saying that the devil, you know, we know is better than the devil we don't. You know, we think that, okay, if we do something else, it could work out, but our main focus is, oh, God, you yeah, know, we're going to fail, we're going to lose everything, we're going yeah, whatever it might be. Um, and so we go to extremes, and so we don't, you know, take those risks, and, and we don't um, follow a path that we feel that, that, you know, we're passionate about. And so, you know, that's kind of the first thing with, with this story. And, you know, also with stories, I was never really good with stories, and, In fact, you know, my training as a a psychologist, I took a stance that when I worked with patients, I never shared personal information. And that was just part of my training that, you know, I was there for the patient, you know, and and I didn't want to bring my own information into the session. And, And it worked well. However, where this started to work against me is once I started to teach at the university level. And in my first year of teach, actually it was the first course I taught, um, you know, I thought that I did okay with the class. And then we had our teacher evaluations. And when I got the evaluations back, the students weren't really happy with, with me. You know, they didn't really connect with me. And so I started to analyze that. And I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, here it is. I was experienced and, and I had lots of, you know, knowledge and skills and and practice, and so I relayed that to them, but yet they needed something else to connect with me, and so what I did the next term that I taught was I started to take a chance and share stories, stories of working with, with clients, stories of working with patients, stories of, of, of my life, and it was amazing when I had that next round of evaluations, it everything so many people, I would say the majority of the students, took time at the very bottom. There was just like other where you could write in information. But nobody did that in the past. But everybody gave me raving results, and they took time to write into the bottom. We loved Dr. Laskins' stories. I loved hearing the stories. I mean, it was all about the stories, the stories, the stories. And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm really connecting with these students. And so, you know, what had worked well in a clinical setting, you know, didn't work well in, in teaching. And so later I was able to keep that experience in the classroom and apply it in business and help have my story out there. Because when you think about it, with, when it comes to companies and businesses, it, there's, there's a million different companies that make food. There's a million different companies that make widgets or make this or make that. And consumers are just overwhelmed. You know, maybe there's, there's 100 companies that make a really great whatever it might be. So what is it that gets the customers to take action? Well, they take action if they can identify with your story of your company or of the founder or, or someone who's a spokesperson, and that's what they really connect with. I mean, think about it. The last time that you went to a conference, or you went to some type of meeting where you just met people for the first turn, and you come away and you're talking with others who were there, and you're like, hey, do you remember that guy? I don't remember his name, is, but I know that he loves motorcycles. Remember the guy who he said he, he rides Harleys, and, and the other, this other young lady, she loves to jump on a planes. It's the stories that we remember. We may not be able to remember their names, but we remember their stories. So there's social yeah. proof right there. How powerful your story is, in being
0: able to grow your business,
1: your brand, your company.
0: Wow! Uh, so back, I got, yeah, this this is uh, this is pretty great. And I think one of the best things is is we're a third of the way through here, and I haven't asked you a question yet. And you've already given us what? you've already given us so much of, uh, and just. The way listening to your story and hearing the lessons that you discovered for yourself and you're now sharing with others, uh, I mean, you actually did cover a fair part of our initial plan for this conversation. We do have so many other things that we need to look at here. So, what I'd like to do now is I'd like to sit, take everything you've shared with us, your whole story of of going to Costa Rica and everything that's followed that's brought you to where you are today, and how do we take these principles and apply them to running our business?
1: Yeah, and, and that's a great—I mean—a great question because so many times we get caught up into well, just you know, how how do I build a better product, um, you know, so I can beat my competition, and, and then how do we just get our just get our name out there and tell people, you know, what we do, and I think. For many of us, either a small business owner or somebody has a medium to a large company, if they have not identified what their story is, it's to sit down and brainstorm, you know, what is it that's powerful, that's emotional, that can really connect with your customers? What What is the experience of the owner, the founder, or the company in general that tells that story? That, that connects with the emotion of, of people. And so like with, with my story, um, you know, going to a tropical, lush, you know, environment, you know, such as Costa Rica, I mean, and you don't even just say Costa Rica, there's there's some, something about it that's so magical that most people, they have this vision in their, in their head of what it must be like and how great it must be. And so it starts to fire some of those areas in our brain of of emotion, of of happiness and exploring and excitement. You know, and then I also bring in that element of of fear um, that a lot of people have for me going. Now, you know, I had fear, and this is another thing that I, I didn't go into, but, you know, it wasn't that I never had fear about leaving a secure job, about, selling my home, about giving up everything to go and live in a country that I didn't know much about, and you know, to to be with a young lady that I didn't really know that well. Um, and so was it a risk? Sure. But for me, the positive side of it was much stronger. And that's what I focused on, more so than than the fear. And and so Again, any story that you can have that talks about emotion is going to be beneficial in connecting with your current customers to build them into a more of a loyal customer base, or to connect with new customers.
0: Yeah. Wow. See, yeah, very, very true. And as I mentioned before, when I share things, I lean heavily on anecdotals and storytelling because. A, it's something that people can relate to. And they can see themselves being put into that picture, rather than simply receiving information they are supposed to write down on a notepad. And B, it becomes memorable. So even if they don't remember your name, as you said, they do remember the story. And it's funny how that works. So moving forward here, uh, T- Tim, what five strategies do you have? And I know we're going on halfway through so I think now's a great time to – Give some specifics, a chart that people can follow here. What are some strategies? I think you mentioned that there are five that you recommend for creating your business and personal success.
1: Yeah, and I, I would think that the first is is for you to get in touch with your own fear about moving you know, your business forward. What what is it that because, again, like I had talked about earlier, fear holds us back, not only personally, but also professionally and growing on businesses. So I would say the first is to identify what, what, are, what is the fear that, that you have as a company. you know, um, many times we don't take steps um, based on something that we don't want to happen. You know, let's, let's say whether it's, you know, there's a new platform for advertising. Um, maybe, right. you know, Facebook. Facebook ads is, is really hot. It's been hot for a while, and but maybe you've never done that in the business, and you're thinking, okay, I've heard some great things about it, but what if we lose, you know, all that investment? What if we spend thousands of dollars on Facebook and it doesn't work out? And sometimes we get caught up into what we are going to lose instead of what we can gain and how do we ensure that we can make those gains? We know that there's nothing that's 100% in life, but yet there are things that we can do to help um, improve the chances and the odds of our success so that we don't reach failure. But too often we get stuck on, well, what if we fail? What if I lose, you know, the marketing budget? What if what if I get fired? Especially if you're in charge of advertising in your company and you're thinking about going – a, a new direction that you haven't been and then it doesn't work out and you're thinking, uh oh, you know, my job's going to be in jeopardy because <laughs> I ruined this. So, um, so the first is identify, you know, what what is your fear, uh, you know, as, as you grow your company, what, what is out there? What holds you back and, and just get away from the fear and figure out, okay, how do we make this work? So it's more about focusing on the solution and less. Yes, on, the, on the fear. right. Um, and then you know going into say so the, the second tip would be for you to, to really have a clear vision of, of who your customers are. Um, it, it would be it's it surprising that there are so many companies out there who have been operating for a couple of years. You know, think they know who their customers are, but then they're not, once you really sit down with them and have them become very, very specific on who they are, um, they they kind of get lost. So they may be very general. Well, you know, our our customer base is 24 to 54 men and women. Well, that's not really specific enough. So you, you need to be able to identify specific specifically just niche down as far as you can to identify who that customer is that you're trying to target. Because once yeah. you know, then you're able to know how to tailor that story, how to make – because you could be telling a story that you think is great. Okay, I'm telling stories. I'm trying to connect. But maybe it's a story that doesn't, just misses your customer base altogether. And, and they they just don't relate to it, so it has to you have to have a, a clear idea of who those customers are, so that you can tell that story that is directly like in their ear and related to them when they go oh yes you, you know um, I can identify with that because you know I think that that's the other piece is your customers have to be able to identify. And if they can't identify, then, you know, if you're talking about aches and pains and, 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 you know, what it's like as you're older and and whatever, but then you're targeting, you know, 20-something-year-olds, well, they're not really thinking about aches and pains and and all of that stuff. It's just going to miss them, so they don't care to really hear about your story. (laughs) It's really, you know, uncomfortable and and whatever it, it, it may be. And so, you know, that's the other, uh, kind of the second one to this.
0: Yeah. Good, good.
1: Now, if we go on and and then we, you know, look at another, you know, third, um, you know, bullet that we're looking at is, you know, many times when we are growing a company, we really don't kind of, you know, we kind of, see what's day-to-day, but we're not developing that plan that's, that's further down the line. We haven't looked far enough ahead of where we want to be. And so this, this kind of goes to, you know, setting goals. Um, you know, we get so caught up into the day-to-day that we forget about, okay, we're just going through motions, but are we even moving towards those goals? Are we moving away? What, what's going on? And, and I'm sure you know your listeners can identify with, with that. Sometimes it does feel like we're just spinning our wheels, and we're not really, you know, going anywhere. And so, you know, if, if you don't have a really clear sense of, you know, where your goal down the road, um, it's just kind of like getting in your car and driving in circles uh, without having a clear plan. That maybe you want to be in Key West, but you know, after two months you're still in, in Arizona driving in circles. So yeah. you're not getting any closer, you know, to that. True. And so that that's really important and key as well.
0: Good, now, good, good. I mean this is this is all good stuff, so keep going.
1: I would say, you know, the fourth and and this whole array, you know, looking looking at fear and, and you know your story and, and setting your goals, um, you know, all of these are, are very very important. Um, another thing that some people fail to really look at is is pay attention to the you know the uh, competition. So you've got you know other companies. So for me, like I have a life coach school. Um, I'm always trying to keep my eye on what, what is the competition doing? You know, what is it that they are doing maybe better or worse, or are they doing anything new maybe to advertise? And that helps me kind of keep a pulse of what's going on. Um, and sometimes we can pick up on strategies as, as businesses um, of how to propel ourselves forward, you know, based on what our, our you know, competition is doing. And you will hear some people that may say, "Oh, you should never even look at your competition. They're not, they're not, you know, even you know, part of the equation of your success or failure." But I really disagree with that, and I think that that is very important to be able to learn some of those things that they're doing that you can improve on. Because a lot of times there's customers out there, especially if you're you know trying to follow maybe some of. Either your customer's Instagram page, or Facebook page, or whatever it might be. Sometimes you're picking up on some of the concerns that their customers have, and that that could be key for you to be able to pick that up. Where you know maybe they're always talking about you know their customer service is so poor. You know you, you see reviews. Many times you can go on it online and you can look up a company in the Better Business Bureau and you can see if there are any complaints or whatnot. Um, right, and so you know that I guess within like a year ago, my wife she had hurt her shoulder at work, and she had a uh, she went had an X ray on it or an MRI. Um, I'm not sure which they did, but anyway, we you know we she had the insurance, and you know we paid the deductible. Well, just recently we started getting these bills for you know this. MRI or or whatever it was she had and I'm like we paid this off this is crazy and so I went and I went online and I googled the name of the the company and the radiology group and I was amazed and shocked what I found was a review and in Google Google reviews there were 26 total reviews that were one star and every one of those people complained about their billing department how they were overbilled, how they were billed a year later, which we found ourselves in. And so if you're another group who does that kind of type of work, that's huge. You know, so you should jump on that and really make that key so that you could you know make sure that you are standing out when it comes to you know
0: your industry and, and
1: taking care of what what are those complaints. And, again, it may not be the complaints that you have for your company, but it may be a complaint of another competitor, and it will just help you to fine-tune and make your services and products much, much better. Yeah. Then I would say the, the last, the, the, the fifth thing is taking care of yourself, as it is so easy to get burned out burned out with work, burned out with <laughs> personal life, and they're people who just work themselves into a room. And, you know, we hear stories all the time of, of people who end up checking themselves into a, you know, substance abuse treatment program or into yeah. a psychiatric hospital for a mental, you know, they call it a mental breakdown or whatever it might be, um, you know, those things are going to significantly – and you're going to have a negative impact on your company well before you get to that point of checking yourself in somewhere. So I think that there are a lot of – and entrepreneurs in general are, are vulnerable to this because they are just goal-driven, and they want to you know, go out and succeed. They're going to, bend, they're going to spend that the midnight oil and burn it up, you know, every opportunity, and many times, you know, they're going on to go to sleep, probably eating poorly, and what they find is that, you know, all the steps that they took forward to build that business, that brand, that company, they end up taking a lot of steps back because they're in real trouble and that they've developed maybe some bad habits. Um, poor sleep, maybe, you know, that one glass of wine, at the end of the day to unwind because it's been, oh, it's been such a tough day. Let me just, you know, pull myself a glass. Well, that glass ends up becoming two glasses and three glasses and before you know it, you've got a real problem on your head. So a lot of people are not taking care of themselves, and and that's a huge, huge issue. Um, being able to maintain and keep your company afloat and make sure that, you know, you're there for, your company, for your employees, for your customers, is, is key.
0: Well, all i got to say here is for everybody listening, make sure that you do subscribe to Business Creators Radio Show through your favorite syndication network so you can get your download of this episode. Very important. Tim, you've shared a lot of great stuff with us as far as the strategies for creating business and personal success based on your stories and your trajectory. And I wanted to highlight a couple things uh, from number four, and from number five. So from number four, you were telling the story about getting billed for medical stuff that happened like a year ago. And you know, the world is full of stories like this. Uh, I know people that have had emergency care because they fell and broke a leg or had a heart attack or something like that. And in one case, the person was in the hospital for one day and they got billed for four days of treatment. So it was actually a huge milestone for them to get the bill reduced to only to cover the time they were actually in the hospital. Then there was a the second layer of going through all the services they were billed for and determining which ones they actually received and which ones were just thrown in. I mean I think the person got uh, about a $75,000 bill for breaking their leg or something like that. It was pretty bad. So we see these stories all the time whether it's medical billing whether it's working with a digital marketing company, whether it's working with an attorney, whether it's your experience at a restaurant. And, you know, I think there's two things that are missing here that I see a lot of times. And I've seen examples of companies, and this was actually done to me. Uh, I went to a restaurant, had a horrible experience, was treated extremely rudely by their waiter, who would take care of everybody else who's sitting around me and they already had their meals, and the guy wouldn't even acknowledge me for some reason. So after three times, and the fourth time, I said, uh, "Hey, uh, you've been here four times, and I'm asking for a menu." He threw the menu at me and said, "Here's your menu." So guess what? I didn't Ooh. want to give him a tip, right? And then I, uh, I then I tried to speak with management, and they didn't want to hear it. So I posted a Yelp review. So here's what this business did, and all they really had to do was respond to me on Yelp and say, wow, we're sorry that that's how, that's how our experience made you feel. Can you please come back and let us show you a five-star experience? They didn't even have to give me a free meal. All they had to do was acknowledge that I was a somebody who had been in their establishment who had a concern and offered to do right by me. They didn't even have to offer me a free meal. I want to reiterate that. That's all they had to do. You know what they did instead? They found out that a friend of mine was using their restaurant to hold seminars and events, and they connected my Yelp review to him. And they went to him to come to me to tell me that if I didn't take my Yelp review down, they were going to take it out on him. Mm. So screw them uh, <laughs> is, is is my <laughs> is my opinion towards that. But now, if you have a business yourself, the point that, the reason I bring that up is. If you have somebody who is complaining about something and their first attempt to get redress does not give them any level of satisfaction, they feel they weren't heard, so they have to amplify things by a few decibels to get heard, what are their primary needs? In my opinion, my estimation, and I obviously I want your feedback on this, Tim, is they have a need for validation. They just need to know that somebody cares and that by demonstrating that you care you acknowledge the fact that they care about the interaction enough to to raise a point about it and that is one of the easiest services to recover in my opinion is when they are willing to make sure you hear their concerns and they're also willing to speak with you about their concerns i would be more concerned uh, about people who would walk away from my establishment and never say a word to me, but quietly mention things to a lot of their friends. And then eventually I'm going to notice that a lot of seats are going to start out out in my restaurants. Whereas if I had somebody online complaining about something like that, I'd say, whoa, that doesn't quite sound like us. I don't even know how we're going to address this or even, or even if 20% of this has been added for a dramatic effect. Now, in my case, there was not 20% added for, added for dramatic effect. It was that bad. But as I said, all they had to do was acknowledge it and say, we invite you to come back and let us show you a five-star experience. Now, I'll say for the third time, they didn't even have to offer, offer me a free meal. So in your estimation, working with businesses uh, and working with life coaches and everybody else who you serve as a business creator, Tim, uh, what, what do you think are some of the challenges that are out there when people receive feedback from the market and how they fail to embrace the opportunities to create lasting relationships.
1: Yeah, and just to kind of even back up a little further, when you talked about you know most customers, they just want to know that you know that someone cares you know about their issue or complaint, and the way that they feel that you know their complaint or them as people are being you know, cared for, is that someone is listening is the first, and that the second is that someone is actually taking action. And the the one thing that you can do as a business to surely piss off people is to make an excuse. That, right, they will automatically just check out in the mind. If you go to, well, you know, we can't handle, let's say your hotel, you know, and, and someone comes to the lobby and says, I didn't sleep all night. I'll never come back. There was all this noise. And, and you say, Oh, well, there's construction outside. Sorry, there's nothing we can do. It doesn't matter. They don't care. <laughs> that is going to piss them off. Maybe it is out of your hands. Maybe it's the city that's coming and fixing a water line at the next property next door. It has nothing to do. But what you should be doing is one, listening to them, and two, trying to make up for that, you know, and so instead of saying, well, it's out of our hands, you know, see, so they're doing this, you could say, I'm so sorry that you had, you know, a terrible night. You know, I can certainly understand, you know, how that would, you know, negatively impact you. Why don't we do this? You know, why don't we give you a voucher? You know, this, this is a temporary thing. We're going to make sure that this doesn't continue to, you know, um, impact our other customers, and I want to thank you. I think that's the other part of that. It's to thank them for bringing that to your attention because right. that, that also helps them feel validated and, and, and cared about and, and just, and if anything, people just want to know that their, their voice is being heard because most people, when it comes to customers, if they have a good service, they typically don't say anything. If they have a great, wonderful, spectacular experience, they will say something. If they have a really crappy experience, they will say something, but they typically don't say anything in the middle. So you could actually turn this whole situation around where someone complains about something that was totally out of your control. The city is doing work next door. Again, it wasn't you that was doing the work. It was, you know, another entity. It wasn't even your establishment that had initiated that work. If you're able to take that opportunity And give them something. Let them know that you hear them, that you understand, that you care about them. And you know what? Let me give you something on the house for your troubles. You may have this person when they get home going, wow, I'm going to rate them as five because I had this issue. They didn't make any excuses. They took care of me and they treated me like someone special. So you could potentially take that customer who's going to give you a one-star bad review when they get home, and they end up giving you a five-star great review.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, a phrase I've actually seen used that, believe it or not, can be effective in certain situations if somebody gives you a one-star review is to simply and say something like, uh, we'd like to invite you to come back uh, because we'd like to earn a five-star rating from you. Mm-hmm. Just. Come out and tell. Yeah, just come out and let uh, and let them know that uh, you want them to have a five star experience. You want to earn their five star rating, so you are going to take extra steps to make that happen, and that Mm -hmm. shows you care. And here's another thing I think people need to recognize when it comes to when it comes to responding to reviews online. You're not only responding to the person who is leaving you the review. You're also responding to all of your prospective, current, and future customers. Here's what I, here's what I mm-hmm. mean. When I look at reviews, like Yelp reviews or what have you for a business, I'm not looking for that perfect five out of five. Because if I see something as perfect five out of five, I actually believe it's a little too good to be true because there ain't nobody perfect. Mm-hmm. And as you said, mm-hmm. the satisfied customers will oftentimes just you know smile to themselves and go about their lives where it's the upset customers that are going to rant and rave so far. And Mm -hmm. so I look for a business that has about a 4.2 rating. The reason being Mm -hmm. is I want to see that they screwed up, how they screwed up, and what they did about it. Very simply because if it turns out that I do business with them or I patronize their establishment or what have you, and I discover that my experience, is not going to be uh, is not going to be one of the perfect ones. Like let's say some things go wrong with my experience, or there are a lot of mistakes, there are some delays, there are some misunderstandings. I want to know by their response to that review, that that critical review they received, that I'm going to be taken care of. That they are people too. They make mistakes. They have the strength, the courage, and the integrity to acknowledge the situation and be able to take the step forward.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, that, so, that, so, so, so yeah, when I see y'all five out of five, I wonder how many of those are paid for how many, or how much bribery went on into acquiring those reviews. I want to see honest reviews, and I want to see the person that said, you know, other than this one thing, it was absolutely perfect. And part of the reason I like those reviews, the other than one thing, it was absolutely perfect, is because they'll be able to tell, going back to you, Tim, a detailed story that's going to be more believable. I'm actually going to be able to picture them in that establishment having that experience and lamenting that that one thing wasn't exactly what they were hoping for, but that everything else was fine. Because I can relate to mm-hmm. having a 90% experience. Can you relate to having a 90% experience? And for most of us, 90% is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that you know how you talked about you know, the immersion reviews. That people find online tell a story about your business, you know, and, and how you treat your customers. And for small businesses, I don't think that there is really an excuse. I could understand the reason why very small businesses may just not follow online. You know, they may not check Yelp or you know, Google or whatever it might be, whatever they're rated. You know, these rating agencies, you know, the Better Business, whatever it's important for them to, to check up on that, to, to be consistent right. and build that into their routine, okay, you know, and it, it should be at least weekly, you know, maybe every, every you know, Friday, you know, let's right. let's have someone that's dedicated to, you know, spend X number of, uh, amount of time and go through the Internet and see is there anything that we've missed, you know, and just one right. person who had extremely negative uh, experience can create havoc on your business, and if you let that sit there for three months, six months, or a year, and you never responded or did anything, well, think about all the customers that you probably lost who were going to come to you, and then they saw that review, and they're like, mm, I think I'll skip that. I'm not going to take a chance.
0: Yeah, because they mm-hmm. didn't see the response. That there was an issue, cool. uh, what the issue was, and what they were doing about it. Mm -hmm. Because a a, a negative Mm -hmm. review is a negative review. I mean, everybody, as I said before, I tend to believe in a business more when I see that they're not perfect. I want to know how I'm going to be taken care of in the event that my interaction with them turns out to be the one, turns out to be the one that's less than perfect is how I look at it. I want to know that I'm dealing with real people with integrity and the courage and the Mm -hmm. strength to do what's necessary to make a customer happy. I'm more concerned about that than worrying everything's going to be perfect. Uh, it's like it's like you and I, and I see stories about this where people want to engage in projects with, say, design firms or digital marketing firms, and they want these detailed nine-page proposals on exactly what they're going to do. And so, mm-hmm. and, and and whenever and whenever you see a client coming at you that wants that detailed nine-page bullet point of every single little thing you're going to do, that's because and you can see this coming a mile away, either there's more that you needed to do as the business owner, as the entrepreneur, to develop their know, like, and trust in you, or Mm -hmm. they are, by nature, the person who is really just going to look for something to complain about. Because if you give me, let's say, Tim, uh, I hired you to render some kind of service to me, and you gave me nine bullet points of stuff And you gave me nine bullet points, nine pages of bullet points, rather, of things you were going to do for me. And then at some point, we're going to do the project, and you're going to come to me and you're going to say, Adam, it's been fun and we're done. Well, I'm going to pull out that list, and on page four, like the 18th bullet point, I'm going to say, no, Tim, you didn't do that. Then I'm going to go to page five. I'm going to notice bullet point number seven. No, Tim, you didn't do that either. And on and on and on and on and on. (laughs) Meanwhile, actually, you probably did but it looked different or had a different name. And it also leaves out that no matter how much you plan a project, there are unforeseen that are going to emerge in real time, where in most cases you're actually going to end up over-delivering on the project. We're actually going to do several bullet points that weren't even in the proposal. And just because of the nature of how the project proceeds, a few of those bullet points will actually turn out to not even be necessary. But remember, Mm -hmm. I had those nine bullet points, I got you you didn't do this
1: people <laughs> yeah. look look for ways to get you even you know like you said they may interpret it that you didn't do it when you when you right. did it. so you can certainly set yourself up and at something that uh, a lot of coming in the budget and being able to, to hit your financial you know deadlines and, and meet your goals financially based on prices of your product is, is important However, it, it, it's not everything, and I, some, there are some companies that drop the ball with their customer service because they're so concerned about the price. And And I'll give you an example. And you think of some of the budget airlines that have popped up, and I've experienced, you know, well, let, let's just say when it first popped up and I had an unbelievable price of flying somewhere, and I jumped on that flight and I'm going, whoa, this is excellent. I'm saving so much money. But then, once I had a big problem with them as an airline, that another airline that I had used that was more never did this to me. I was left scratching my head, going, "I don't care how cheap. I don't care if they charge me five dollars to fly from Charlotte to Miami. I will never take them again because their customer service is so poor." And you hear that over and over again. So, as a company, you know, take note that you better take care of your customers first. They would rather pay more to have a good service, especially when it comes to taking care of them, than, you know, some of them, just like these airlines that, you know, are budget, trying to treat you like, a, a, you know, cattle who come on. They don't really care about you. You sit in these really almost glorified lawn chairs. You know, they're not that much better. Um, you know, just treat you poorly. And, yeah, maybe you save $200. But, damn, you, you get on the flight, you're feeling like crap, you get off at your destination, you're like, what just happened? I arrived. <laughs> but did I really, you know, was it worth saving, you know, that, that money? I would rather, and, and people end up going right back to the airline, paying more for, for a better service and, and being treated better.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have uh, folks come to me and I, I tell them how much I pay my graphic designer. And their eyes pop out of their mind because it's a three-digit number. like, are you freaking kidding me? You're paying them that much for graphic design? No wonder. Goodness gracious. You you should not be paying more than $12 an hour for graphic design. And my response is, are you kidding me? I'm working with a designer who I've been working with for 15 years who knows my style, who knows the style of my pass-through clients who will deliver a fast, effective turnaround, who has designed a business around the idea that, yes, you damn right they charge a premium, but the fact that they charge a premium gives them the flexibility to do two things. Number one, you're literally buying speed, so they're getting compensated more, that gives them more incentive to move quickly to deliver a quality product. And second, because they're being compensated so well, they have a vested interest in the relationship, they want it to last a long time, and if you know the the work you're doing, like the cover for your ebook or something, takes three revisions instead of two to get it to exactly where you need it, they're not going to say, "Well, in our po- bullet point proposal, we said there would be up to two revisions. We're on the third revision. That'll be an extra three hundred dollars." No, no, mm. because because they play because they play uh, a VIP game. They do VIP work and don't get caught in that little minutia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and and, and I and, yeah, and, okay. and, and, and 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 I like knowing that and I like knowing that because I fly first class when it comes to graphic design, I very rarely need to get to the second revision, much less the third, before I have exactly what I need. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and it goes back to many times. You can raise your prices and provide an experience like no other, make your customers feel like they are king and queens, and they will gladly pay you <laughs> a lot more than what you think, um, and, and, and it goes back to, you know, how I this sorry talking about being in your story, but your story elicits emotion, and so if you can make your customers feel something. Now, if you make them feel angry and pissed off, well, you're going to see what happened. But if you right. make them feel like they are, they are queens and kings and there's nobody else that's more important than that person in front of you, they will likely, they will just open their wallets to you and just give you whatever you want.
0: Very true. Now, we're actually right near the top of the hour, and this turned out to be a conversation that had some extra bonuses above and beyond what people were expecting when they first tuned in. Remember that, Business Creators Radio Show, we pleasantly surprise you from time to time. So I just want to comment, because we don't really have time to discuss it, on something you brought up in point number five of your five strategies for business success, which is taking care of yourself. And how many people who start from being a solopreneur to being a small business owner to being an entrepreneur who follow that trajectory will start out by going so far above and beyond for clients, for resource partners, for sponsors, for vendors, for everybody else that they don't take care of themselves. And then they hit the wall and then they get to the point where, you know what, I, I'm, I, I love my clients. I love what I do. I'm dedicated to delivering a quality, timely product, but damn it. I've got to look out for me, too. So they have yeah. to start drawing that line of, no, I'm not going to take your call on Saturday night. No, your manufactured emergency is not my problem. No, I'm not going to add on five extra things uh, out of the goodness of my heart. No, I'm not going to allow you to berate me and treat me like a child because I don't deserve that. And no, I'm not going to take your call. Your, your Craphead head referral just because they're a buddy of yours and even though I know that they're going to be a very bad fit for my company and are going to make me miserable. So I just want to make the, you know, the point, we've covered this in other episodes of Business Creators Radio, is that you can be the most loving, dedicated, uh, within integrity business creator there is and the more that you defend your boundaries and the more that you take care of yourself, the more you 'll be able to take care of others, just like with some companies they follow the philosophy of we actually don 't take care of our customers first we take care of our people first, and as a result they take care of our customers better than you could ever dream of and that 's a valid philosophy so I just wanted to mostly comment on that uh, because we are at the top of the hour, and uh, with two minutes left, I want to give you one of these minutes uh, you mentioned uh, in the green room, you have some resources for us, potentially something, uh, a little gift for our listeners. You made it to the very end. Uh, yes. I mean,
1: I, I have, you know, some, a free training. It's called a mini mental health makeover webinar. And it gives uh, your listeners who were able to go there and, and actually watch it some tips on how to improve their mental health if they're in a state of feeling like they're stuck, there's no energy, they just feel overwhelmed. You know, we talked about you know, burning out just now and yeah. and not taking care of yourself so much. This will give you some tips and strategies to be able to apply right after you, you listen to it. It's a recorded webinar, and, and you'll be able to have some actionable steps that you can take away and start applying them today to help you to be able to better take care of yourself and then take care of others your company, and other people around you. And it's at CoachWherever.com on the homepage there.
0: CoachWherever.com. I love that. So let me just say uh, this has been a very exciting interview. Uh, Dr. Tim Laskus of CoachWherever.com. I want to thank you for joining us here at Business Creators Radio Show today. It's been an honor and an education.
1: Hey, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a pleasure, and thank you very much for
0: having me. Great. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com and on your favorite syndication networks. We help you win the game of business and marketing so you thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.